All right. Today, uh, I've got Daniel Thorson here. Um, Daniel is the creator and host of the podcast Emerge, making sense of what's next, uh, which explores the relationship between inner and outer transformation and was really a pioneer platform for metamodern voices, metamodern ideas. Uh, Daniel's also on the team at Monastic Academy, which um, is here in Vermont. Uh, which trains and cultivates wise, powerful, and loving leaders for social environmental peace. And um, I had sort of envisioned our first conversation probably being in person because yeah. you know you're about 45 minutes away. Uh, but as 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 the fates decreed, um, you're doing this really cool uh, organizational training in Canada at the moment, and uh, so that's the whole thing. Um, but eventually, soonish, at some point. Uh, when you're back in the States and have some time, I'd love to get together and do something in person. And um, I know that there's, there's like a few people, there's you, there's me, there's Zach Stein, we're all in Vermont. And it's sort of like, you know, uh, we should, uh, we should definitely get together at some point. But anyway, thank you so much for doing this. Um, um, you're going to be talking to John Verveke soon. And um, so we thought, you know, let's kind of bring up Verveke stuff and kind of dig in and and uh, uh, yeah, I mean that's basically the context there. I've been you know really interested in his work for a long time. Um, I think he's he's a really kind of recognized voice in meta modern and meta and meta modern adjacent communities. And um, uh, yeah, you're going to be talking to him soon. And um, it just seemed like a cool idea to kind of you know, talk Verveke uh, for a bit. So I don't know if you want to say more about some of that context or, or if we just want to get into the stuff or whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say. Yeah, well, what I will say is, um, you know, encountering John Verveke's work was quite revelatory for me. I was first introduced to him through Peter Lindbergh. I think even before he started, he published the first kind of uh, lecture in Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Uh, and, you know, Peter was very um, enthused by him and, and, and told me that I needed to check him out. And immediately upon uh, uh, seeing him and hearing him, there was a kind of like recognition of, of uh, this is a person who's kind of like theorizing in a really sophisticated way, a lot of the elements that I've been seeing emerge in this space. Like he was kind of synthesizing it in a way that, um, well, often very abstract and kind of like challenging was robust and kind of complete in a way that I had never really encountered before. And in particular, his term ecology of practices sort of put front and center what I, what I then knew what we were doing at the Monastic Academy which was sort of exploring how to create a balance of an integrated vision of what are the various practices, techniques, technologies, interventions that can afford the kind of transformation that, that, that at least in that context we're seeking, which is, you know, a particular kind of transformation to become a, as we say, a trustworthy human, mm -hmm. a human who could be trusted to steward, um, you know, uh, the planet in a time of crisis. Mm. Uh, obviously not every transformational system is looking for that same kind of uh, end goal, but, but uh, it helped me see the work that I and that we were doing in a, in a new way and, and got me really excited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really excited. Yeah. And I mean, and he goes deep, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he brings it, to be frank, an intimidating amount of knowledge and expertise 
um, and background to all these topics, which is, it's so refreshing and it's so fascinating and it's really engaging. And, uh, but there's also just so much there. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's really interesting because he's got this, um, you know, uh, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis series on YouTube, but it's 50 lectures long. And it's sort of this thing, right? Where it's sort of like, can, can someone give me the, the too long didn't read version of it? And it's like, well, I get you, but also no, you, it's, you can't really. Yeah, and uh, yeah. so it's kind of uniquely challenging in that sense, but it's also, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's there's a lot there and he's got just so much going on and and he and i mean just his grasp of sort of the whole story of of intellectual history and and his cognitive science framework for for not just integrating and synthesizing the whole story of in uh, you know kind of western and not just western eastern and western intellectual history um into a, a framework and a paradigm that can speak directly to the particular and urgent kind of needs of the moment is um i think what what makes it so powerful yeah and I, I i made the mistake of trying to watch or listen to all of the lectures like in succession i made it i uh -huh. think to like 16 or 18 yeah, yeah. and then my brain just got like full and just rejected <laughs> further input um but it, i think over the past couple of years you know kind of dipping in checking out a couple of videos remembering some of the concepts and just letting them kind of percolate in my psyche and, and to see them enact themselves in my life and training has been uh, really fulfilling. Um, uh, but I still feel like I've just taken a pretty small bite out of that pie. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Yeah, well, let's let's kind of dig in. I don't know. Um, I don't know what some of your areas are where you mm. particularly find some some areas of entry that you feel like are particularly rich or maybe and or some areas yeah. that like are, are maybe problematic that you want to, that you want to tease apart and, you know. Yeah. 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 So, so, uh, you know, one of the concepts that immediately rang out to me, like I said, was the, the ecology of practice sort of frame. The other was the high level idea of a meaning crisis and the kind of fundamental it fun, how it was fundamentally sort of woven into the meta crisis and all the different crises that we're facing. Um, you know, I, I had been getting very into the work of Rob Berbea, who I think I've, I've spoken with you a little bit about and his soul-making dharma, which has a lot to do with how we can practice in a way that amplifies meaningfulness in our life, the sense of the sacred and the beautiful. Um, and he and John really helped me see this kind of leverage point that I think exists within the realm of human transformation of meaningfulness of, you know, it's one thing, I'll say it this way. Um, in the last decade at the Monastic Academy, I think one of the things that we've discovered, which I think was surprising to some people, it wasn't that surprising to me, was that most people that come to train at this space, this monastery, um, weren't interested in awakening. They were interested in becoming um, healthy, psychologically whole. They were interested in having good relationships with other humans. And they were interested in living a deeply meaningful and fulfilling life of like coming into contact with the good and living from there. Um, and 
actually the, the, the training of awakening and the training of that, you know, of that kind of coming into connection with the good and being an integrated harmonious human being uh, aren't kind of symmetrical. They're not the same thing. Uh, and so there's actually a lot of traction within the training of people having different goals. Uh, and so when he sort of like lifted up this idea of actually that, 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 that meaningfulness is, it's, it is kind of a leverage point. It's the, it's the game that needs to be played. How can we uh, rediscover, create, invest our lives with a real felt sense of deep meaningfulness? And in that, I think what he's discovered, and this is something that I was finding and that I think Rob Berbea also discovered, it's that ethics and values are actually like the, the leverage point within the leverage point that there's something about the nature of virtue itself that affords deep meaningfulness. And so when I started to see this kind of piece, this actually helped me clarify a lot of the work that I've been doing here in the Canadian training that I'm, I'm leading. Is There's a, a, a large focus on what work we can do in order to open up the life of virtue, you know, to clarify the good so that that can actually move us to bring our life into accord with that, which is work loving, which is mm. what I think we deeply want, but because of you know all, all the things that you and I know about in our culture, it's like we're very confused about. Like people come to this training and they, they they don't on some level they don't believe that like love is real, you know, or that, 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 that there is such a thing as the good, that anything could be good. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot of like deconstruction, reconstruction, like inquiry sort of like pushing back on assumptions that haven't been interrogated that sort of need to happen in order for that to even open up and begin to fertilize a life with that sort of like impulse to give oneself to sacrifice for what is good mm. um, but that does open up tremendous meaningfulness and some people you know that's what they really want that's all they want is a, is, is a really vibrant kind of sense of meaningfulness and other people actually do end up being drawn towards the path of like radical deconstruction and awakening. Um, and there's a really interesting relationship with that, however far you take it. But, you know, so, so, so maybe that's, that's a, some, some things to throw in. There yeah. Well, so, yeah. so um, what do you, so it seems to me like so much of the project that he's kind of working on is, um, is trying to formulate a sense and understanding of meaningfulness and a lot of the things that you just talked about, whether it's goodness and, and ethics and value and whatnot, that uh, that isn't relying on a sort of traditional or pre-rational sort yes. of formulation of these ideas, but is really, you know, is highly current. It's uh, informed by the best science. And, and I guess then the question for me is how successfully does he do it? Um, oh, maybe one way of putting it is, is the ecology of practices that, that, that comes from his, uh, yeah. kind of reframing of these issues, um, a successful one, um, and an efficacious one. And I guess to really get into that, we'd have to get into the different specifics of it, but, um, I don't know. I mean, is that, do you feel like that is, is a, or, yeah. or the valid question? Well, so, so, uh, um, to be clear, I, I the sort of um, 
easy to overuse this word ecology of practices, but the, the, the stuff that we're doing at the Willow experiment that I'm doing right now, it, it's not like just taking what John created. It says it's inspired right. by him, but not, it's not his ecology practices. I'm actually not even sure what exactly the kind of like set or suite of protocols that he would recommend. I think it, it probably is highly contextual. Um, I, I think, you know, his turn towards dialogical practice is, I think, highly efficacious at um, the at revealing the good, if it's when it's held in this kind of appropriately calibrated and ontologically sensitive way, where we're kind of like and and, and circling, uh, which is something that we've done for many years at the Monastic Academy is, is a pretty good like base technology that allows for this sort of relational co-discovery dialogue to allow us to sort of uncover and reveal value, like the, the kind of like um, the, 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 the tapestry or the realm of values that uh, we're so often blind to. And, you know, I, he, I, he offered a two-day training or three-day training with uh, Guy Sangstock, the founder of the Circling Institute, where they specific kind of taught this um, method of dialogos. I didn't take it, unfortunately. It was right when um, I was actually in a circle retreat, so I didn't get to take it. But uh, I've heard good things. Mm. Heard good things. Let me throw out. So I, I, I wish I yeah, had had taken some notes and and had like the episode number. In one of the episodes, right. you know, he's talking about the perennial the perennial problems. So one of the ways that I would formulate, uh, I guess. Uh, and I, I, I want to try to, I'm not trying to do this sort of uh, oversimplifying thing where I'm just, you know, uh, you know, reducing his whole project to just, this is what it amounts to. But one way of framing, let's say, some of the things that he's talking about are this way. I feel like he presents a series of perennial problems, um, modal confusion, re the reflectiveness gap, absurdity, anxiety, alienation, existential entrapment. Um, and his point, as I gather is that these things are sort of arising out of the, you know, it's a point he's always making, which is that our evolutionary, um, what's the word, exaptive uh, abilities are also the very things, you know, that, that are causing uh, uh, self-deception, right? And so it's like mm -hmm. we have these uh, structures, frameworks, mechanisms within us that that have been highly uh, advantageous for us but they're also when sort of misdirected or in some ways maybe you could even say kind of pathologically oriented they produce uh problems and that in some ways <clears throat> what you think about the the great wisdom traditions the religious traditions spiritual traditions what they're doing is they're um they're speaking to the perennial problems <clears throat> and they're offering these, these ecologies or practices for how to deal with them. So one way of, 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 I think, sort of presenting, which he does his, his sort of project. And again, it's uh, maybe episode 39, or I'll, I'll try to track that one down is he sort of says, all right, he's already done all this work. And he says, all right, so uh, for modal confusion, uh, you know, the being versus having issue, we have Sati. Um, for the reflectiveness gap, which is sort of that over-reflection, extension of reflectiveness back on the self, overthinking about the mm. self, the Hamletian syndrome, you know, all that. Um, we have the cultivation of flow. 
as a response mm. um, for the problem of uh, absurdity. <clears throat> we have, he mm. just says, he calls it prajna for anxiety. Mm. He has inner dialogue or internalizing the sage for alienation. Mm. He has uh, communitas and the different mm. communal psychotechnologies, et cetera. And mm. existential entrapment. He talks about uh, gnosis and higher states of consciousness, et cetera. So basically one of the ways I interpret what he's doing is sort yeah. of here, uh, identifying the perennial problems locating both their causes within our sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Our, 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 car, our cognitive toolkit or our cognitive makeup that can be misapplied and, and, and sort of identifying what the causes are and then finding the various ecologies of practices that, that meet those challenges and provide us with, you know, solutions or, or, or tools or technologies or, or means to overcome them. And, uh, yeah. And then, and so to, to kind of wrap that into my initial question, for me, then hit the big question is, do these things actually work, you know, uh, in the way that, mm. uh, that, that if these are the problems, are these the solutions, I guess, would sort of be the, the, uh, the mm. way of kind of framing that. And again, a kind of highly reductive sort mm. of way. Um, and, and I guess just for myself, while I'm deeply, um, deeply inspired by and find a, uh, so much insight into what he's framing for us here. Uh, that's an open question. And I, I feel like that would be the question mm. to then dive into and explore. Um, mm. Obviously it's multi-pronged. You'd have to kind of take each perennial problem and the proposed yeah. solution in turn. Um, and I don't know, that would be, that'd be one way of framing this. And I that's don't really know, cool. maybe, maybe you would say that that's too, uh, maybe it's too reductive or something, but I don't know. What do you take? What's your take on no, that? No, I, I, I've never heard that framing explicated like that. Maybe I didn't make it to that talk, um, but it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm, um, and it would be fun, I think for me to kind of go deeper into each of those problems and see to what degree has, has like the practices that I've engaged with over the last you know 15 years resolve them to greater or lesser degrees and sort of use that as a way to get into some of the possible gaps of the ecologies that we work with. Um, so I really just appreciate that presentation you just gave. It, it's, um, but I, I don't myself know how I would answer that question without a lot more yeah. familiarity. I, I, yeah, so, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'll, be, well, I'll be being, I think, asked questions by him. I won't be asking questions. I mean, I'm sure I will, but it's, it's mostly him asking me questions, I, I think. Um, but uh, what, I, I've mostly been missing is a kind of more uh, practical application on the level of phenomenology. You know, this is something I really cherish my uh, Buddhist training and, and the work I've done with Rob Bea. It's like very good to explicate the problem and solution on the level of like description and proposition. It's quite another thing on the level, I suppose, as he would say in his framework of participation, like how do I participate with my experience right now such that it reveals itself to be saturated by beauty? Like show, how is that? How does that come to be? And, um, you know, I, I don't know that that's his job. I don't know that's what he's attempting. Um, but for me, that's like more an urgent question as a practitioner and as an educator. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess I, I, I hadn't even thought about the the context in which, you know, and sort of the, like, he'd be asking the questions and, and you'd be doing the responses. So is that sort of a, um, 
is this a specific uh, conversation related to the various practices that that yeah yeah academy? yeah so, so well so so I I developed this um, you know three month intensive uh, as a particular ecology of practices and I think he's gonna be we're gonna be talking about and like unfolding it and and sort of clarifying and uh, probably looking at patterns that we could draw out symmetries between his work and like what this ecology is affording. So then I'd be interested to hear more about what those, what those practices are. Um, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. Let me think of a good way in. Um, Yeah. So the, the kind of like super ordinate framing and, and partly also the other thing that I think it's not a criticism of John's work. It's more of like, again, just as an educator, a limitation or something, which is, it's quite, as we've described in detail before, quite complicated. Like the, the kind of capacity you need for abstraction in order to really like grok it and the time and the dedication is, is great. And so, you know, um, there's a lot of like cognitive complexity I think you need just in order to like really wrestle with it in a productive way. Um, and so I, I designed, this uh, system to be very simple and accessible mm-hmm. uh, and, and not very theoretical. I actually just wanted enough theory that people would feel safe practicing, basically. Um, and so the, the, the kind of framing is uh, we're doing this training in order to har- harmonize the world and all of its systems. Uh, the goal is to become, I don't have a very good word for this, but a kind of omni-harmonic agent. If we look back, we see like somebody like the Buddha is an omni-harmonic agent. They, every action that they take, you know, at least in the archetypal vision of the Buddha is like harmonized with all internal systems, external systems, past, present, future. They're just manifesting that way and it's, and it's harmonizing. Um, here in this training, we, we it kind of like broke it into five aspects that we're seeking to harmonize. Uh, there's the energy system. So that's like the energy body, the flow of energy in the kind of somatic space, uh, but also the kind of energetic fields that exist sort of outside of the realm of our body. Um, there is the aspect we could call like the psyche you know, so that's like the territory of like psycho-emotional healing, but also soul-making work. Uh, there's the aspect of relationship. Where we do a lot of things like circling or uh, working through relational tensions, uh, coming into deep intimacy, group flow. There's the aspect of ethics, which is like probably right now my deepest love with there's lots of different ways to frame this one in terms of harmony, but the way that I've been playing with recently is that it's bringing the realm of is and the realm of ought into harmony. But you could also think of it as coming into harmony with our conscience or our integrity, you know, or bringing our behavior into a harmony with that which is worth loving. Um, in any case, that's ethics. And then the last is perception and this is the territory of more like traditional insight practice um, seeking to uh, work through the fundamental 
disharmony of the subject-object divide and clinging um, and how that kind of distorts our perception. Uh, and so what you find is in this sort of model of these five aspects, they're all mutually informing each other. You, you can sort of um, learn ethics through the energy body as well as through relationship. Uh, a lot of what obstructs ethical behavior is um, psycho-emotional blockages. You know, trauma is something like unprocessed moral information. So as we kind of heal that, we have more choice, more capacity mm. to be ethical beings. Um, that allows us to show up in admirable ways and build more beautiful friendships, which allows us to sit down and be calm and happy because we're not filled with remorse and we feel connected and cared for, which then allows us to take more ethical risks and so on. So they all kind of like feed each other in really interesting ways. And we have particular psychotechnologies uh, within each domain. And, and we also play like combining them and flowing between them. Gotcha. So one question is, so this, this does seem very much like a, uh, in, in, uh, whatever your word you want to use, individual or person oriented sort of uh, set of practices in the sense of, as you say, it's not highly theoretical. It's not a map of systems and this and that. It's sort yeah. of like, okay. So that helps locate it for me as sort of like, is this a, is this a, a, a map or a, a framework that's sort of seeking to encompass, you know, the whole world? And in some ways, yes, but it's, it's yes. sort of like the whole world <laughs> through uh, individual experience or, or perception or something. Totally. And actually a, a part of uh, what helped this framework emerge was that um, I, I think independently, Lehman Pascal came up with this, what he calls the integration surplus model of spiritual practice, but was essentially exactly the same. It's that we, in spiritual practice, we're seeking to harmonize disparate systems you know, the, the traditional one that he uses to exemplify this is within the Gurdjieff tradition of um, mind, heart, and gut or body. We try to seek, the, seek to bring those into harmony. And there's some kind of super abundance that pours forth that we talk about like higher self or um, just like feeling like everything is really meaningful and there's abundant energy and uh, things uh, and so on. And so he, he and I too, um, imagine that you could sort of render any kind of practice into these sorts of uh, conceptual frameworks of harmonization. And so in this training, yeah, we're mostly focused on like the human and the human in relationship, uh, but conceivably you could uh, create a center that was seeking to like harmonize itself with the surrounding community. Like, what would that be like? What would the practice of that be like? Mm. Um, be fascinating. I would, I, I think, and part of my, you know, hypothesis is that you only want to move on to those, you know, um, extended systems or how we want to frame it once you've kind of brought this body, mind, close relationships, ethics into harmony. And this is, you know, not much different than like when Jordan Peterson says, like, you know, you start by cleaning up your room mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you kind of like move on and move on and move on. Yeah, no. And I, 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 um, I'm finding this a lot and it, I deeply resonate with it. And I think it's very true in, in, it, which is the sense of, um, in order to do the sorts of grand systems level change, it does begin 
in here, you know, in here and here and here. And um, there's some great quotes. Uh, I just finished reading Sex, Ecology, Spirituality by Ken Wilber. And he really makes that point a lot too. You can go too far with it, I think, in terms of, um, you know, getting too lost and just of, oh, I just need to focus on myself and everything will then take care of. Right. But, but generally speaking, I, I, uh, that framework makes a lot of sense to me. And I also acknowledge too, that different people go about that in different ways in terms of, you know, we do need systems focused folks to be changing, uh, you know, uh, infrastructures and, and institutions and things like yeah. that. Right. But I think that the, the point is that you can't disconnect that from what's happening at the level of, of individual human experience. And that, you know, you can change a yeah. system all you want, but if you're not changing people's hearts, minds, guts, or whatever, that whole kind of dynamic yeah. interplay, then, you know, you're just not really changing very much actually. Yeah. And also, um, you know, work in the world because we do work here like we you know we're um the group that's here is also building this institution this kind of like young nonprofit, <clears throat> and you know the the what i've seen and i think you know I, I wish there was like a name for this like act somebody's law or something but when you do work in the world when you try to create systems your shadows your kind of blind spots are reflected back to you in what you create and out into the world. So like, mm -hmm. you know, of course, Facebook was created by, you know, uh, slightly antisocial young white men, <laughs> you know, and, and, it, and it creates the world in their image. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's, there's, it's not to say that you ought not kind of try to do good things in the world until you're like totally healed, whatever that could possibly mean as mm -hmm. if you could heal yourself in absence of healing the world, mm -hmm. but that, there's a way that we can move forward that is wholly integrated so that you're kind of in a feedback loop with your work such that it is also cleaning you and revealing to you the work that you still need to do so that you can more fully like create re radical change uh, yeah. that isn't embedded in like these blind spots. That you're yeah. So many things I could, I, I would want to explore there, but on the topic of linking this to, to Verveke's work, I'd be curious to hear how you would, link these this particular mm. ecology of practices and actually maybe even before we would kind of explore that you've late you've, you've listed this um one two three was it five different kinds of categories yeah. or whatnot but like uh but i'd be curious to hear what the actual practices are that might relate to sure. these in terms of you know yeah that sort of thing yeah sure so um yeah in in the first bucket of like energy practices or uh, the, the primary practice is um, samadhi practice, uh, which is in the Buddhist tradition, the kind of uh, form of meditation where you're upregulating a sense of like um, calm, peace and well-being in the energetic system, in the soma. Um, and, you know, uh, that can, oh, we've talked about, you know, this can get outrageous once you get into like jhanas and stuff, which um, we could define within this framework as like a superabundance of harmony within the energy body. And that's how Rob Berbea, one of my primary teachers, defines jhanas as like super harmonized states. And so we sit down and we kind of uh, participate with our experience, breathe in such a way, hold the body in such a way. Uh, relate to it all in such a way that it, it comes into harmony, that kind of 
energetic tensions and knots get worked out and we start to like settle in a deeper and deeper, deeper way. Uh, so that's the primary practice, but it also includes things like, um, you know, uh, we have an hour of exercise every day. We try to eat healthy food, try to get adequate, but not too much sleep. Um, all of those help cultivate a kind of like robust energy body that's easy to harmonize. Um, and then within the aspect of uh, psycho-emotional, we use, um, I'd say three primary psychotechnologies. We use um, focusing, which was developed by Eugene Genlin in the 1960s as a form of like listening to your experience in a particular way. Um, we use uh, the bioemotive framework, which was developed by Doug Tatarin, who's a Canadian and a, in, in, the, in, a, in the integral scene, really fascinating human being. I've interviewed him on my podcast and it's a method of going straight to the most painful kind of emotional uh, reservoirs in your psyche, in your body. Um, it's, it's amazingly effective. Uh, I could talk more about why that's so effective, but it, it, it's kind of like a add-on to focusing. So you use focusing to come into contact with your body. And then if you want, if you feel resourced enough, you can just like directly go to the most deep entrenched kind of contracted patterns of trauma or pain. Um, and then we, we hold all of that within the meta model of internal family systems, which is just a, I think, like very powerful method of bringing your internal system into harmony, which they actually express as the goal of their system is to bring the psyche into harmony. And so um, it, it's a profound practice uh, and it actually models the way to be with yourself in, in a way that, that, that tends towards harmonization within your psyche, but also the patterns of how you do that um, play out in a very similar way in relationship. And so we, when we get into the relationship aspect, if we build out of that, you go into circling and often you find that like, if I relate to other humans the same way I relate to my parts, we tend to have harmonious <laughs> relationships. And so mostly we use circling um, for the intentional practice of relationship, but just living in intense, intentional community, you know, like there's um, uh, eight of us just full-time living together. You know, it's not that big of a space. So we're just constantly in each other's faces. So uh, that's a big part of <laughs> what makes this training work is uh, that we trigger each other and then have to work through it because um, there's nowhere to go. We're trapped here, <laughs> at least for three months. Uh, and then with the ethics, um, uh, we're mostly borrowing heavily from this approach called human systems, which um, I don't know if you're familiar with this. It was developed by somebody named Joe Edelman in, uh, he lives in Berlin now, but it's a, an approach to systems design rooted in human values. And so uh, part of that system is a whole process of like uh, kind of, clarifying what values are and how to articulate them to yourself, how to access them, how to see them clearly as they function in your life and how they actually sort of define moment to moment what I think in John's world would be like your kind of relevance landscape. You know, so how is it, why is it that you pay attention to particular things? Well, there's some kind of value there or there's something being distorted by your psycho-emotional baggage. 
garbage and, and you're kind of mistaken and deceiving yourself. Uh, and so there's a whole untangling that has to happen, uh, but we use mostly, uh, yeah, the human systems approach for ethics. And then with perception, um, it's uh, grounded mostly in Rob Berbea's approach to emptiness, which is sort of taking on ways of seeing, ways of participating with your experience that um, reduce clinging and therefore like deconstruct uh, the reality the apparent reality of perceptions and, and afford a kind of like deep letting go and seeing through the world. Um, and so those are the, the, the primary practices that we're doing. That's, that's really interesting. So I've been, I've been kind of mapping as you've been going along here to kind of see if, if there's any way <clears throat> of tying together some of these things in a, in a Verveke oh. context. Right. So it's interesting. So the energy system, uh, you should talk about samadhi practice for yeah. me relates a lot to what John talks about in terms of the modal confusion issue. Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe, or maybe not, maybe that's something that could be an interesting way to, you know, mm. try to see if there's some connections there. Um, a lot of the relationship, uh, stuff you talk about, uh, is a big, uh, connection with his kind of, and, and what I'm doing here is just sort of trying to track your ecology of practices yeah, to right. his ecology of practices right. as they relate to the perennial problems. Right. So right. relationship well, really could be, um, you know, he, he talks about uh, communitas and certain kinds of communal psychotechnologies. He mentioned circling actually as a yeah. specific yeah. example. So I know that that's a definite overlap there. And which, um, that's, that's for alienation. That's uh, yeah. For alienation. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, what he talks about is existential entrapment. I wonder if that sort of relates to this idea uh, relates to perception and uh and 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 the oh, gnosis. Totally. Yeah. yeah right um and uh anyway so i've been kind of doing this on the fly so i'm trying to see like maybe what kinds of uh kind of oh, that's great you know, things could be, be connected here but um, well and the anxiety is definitely um the psycho-emotional work uh, mm -hmm. and yeah yeah yep, i think yep um and again i he he, he described the kind of um well, he calls them counteractive dynamical systems, right? So we've got our dynamical systems that are kind of being misapplied to create the perennial problems. But what we need as through these ecologies of practice are these counteractive mm -hmm. dynamical systems, which will counter those mm -hmm. problems. So uh, he talks about prajna as being a, 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 a kind of response to the issue of absurdity. And, and then you'd have mm -hmm. to kind of dig in a little bit more to what he means by all that. But yeah, it'd be, it'd be really, I mean, oh, that's that, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you know how he, because for, for um, the, the prajna, the uh, existential entrapment, it seems like prajna would be the solution to existential entrapment, but I guess I, it would depend on how. I don't yeah. Know so that, that's where, you know, and again, this is, um, it's sort of like that, that's where you could kind of go back and try to triangulate right. these things through, through. Well, his... no, you're getting me very excited to, to go back <laughs> okay. now that it's yeah. like, I was yeah. like, Ooh, it intersects with. Yeah. Thing I made. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, right. So like, there's always the, um, that's the, uh, it's the, it's the excitement and, and the, and what opens you up through this sort of map making yeah. stuff. It's also, you know, it's always that element of, well, these are, well, what the integralists always say that the map's not territory and the, and the map making is it's, you know, it has its limitations and everything, but mm. it is, it's genuinely really exciting when you see, that people who are engaged in these sorts of projects and doing this sort of work, if you can find areas of overlap and forms of, you know, kind of like, yep. Yeah, okay. And um, 
you know, and it's interesting too. You talked to you're like, Oh, I wish there was someone's law to talk about, you know, what you were saying. I was like, well, just call it Thorson's law. I mean, you can't call it that, <laughs> but, but I'll call it that if you want. And then, and then, you know, that, that okay. but, but I guess what I'm getting at with that, right. Is that it's sort of like some of these things need, uh, a, a, just a new, I don't want to say a new language or a new terminology, but, um, but right. So like words like Prajna or, or, um, or, 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 or Sati, um, or, or Samadhi in your case. I mean, like they're, they're highly context specific kind of terms. Right. And I wonder if part of the thing that could happen is finding a bit more, um, sort of less context bound, for, uh, terms for that sort of a thing. Totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, 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 that's what, um, layman is really passionate about with regards to this way of framing practice and, and me too um, is that it's ontologically agnostic you know it, 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 you don't have to say samadhi to talk about harmonization of the energy body you do obviously have to have a perception of the energy body otherwise that might seem like a kind of claim that i'm making a kind of metaphysical statement but it's actually not that hard to to have a perception of it um, uh, and so uh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, yeah, uh, it, it's so important that we find a way to talk about this stuff. Like I said, that's accessible, that, that, that doesn't require people to buy into um, dogmas or even like words that they're not familiar with. Like, yeah. you know, for, the, for me, the, the, the vision that's really inspiring, mm. you know, depending on the day, some days I feel like just pumped up about it. Other days I feel quite hopeless is that there's a future in which it's as common to do intensive training like this as it is to, you know, go to the Peace Corps or go to AmeriCorps. You know, that's just a common thing. And if we, if I imagine a world like that, it, it's not one in which people are doing Samadhi practice. Mm. It's where they're like sitting and feeling good in the yeah. body. It's interesting, though, because I feel like that issue gets at uh, some some stuff that comes up for me in not just uh, Verveke's work, but but really so many people exploring this space, which is all right. Mm. So if there's a recognized need to sort of uh, identify a certain thing, but then kind of uh, shift it from its highly contextual uh, kind of tradition bound language into something a bit more accessible and more um, broadly applicable to people. Um, what can happen is these things can get removed from the containers that seem to lend them their sacred quality. Right. And, uh, and, and as I've been kind of thinking a lot more about Verveke's work, I I have to say, and it's not just him, but it's others again, working in this area. Like Mm. I, I wish that that were, uh, I don't know. brought up more as like, what do we do about this? Because um, like, let's say that the project of trying to provide this, uh, you know, non-context bound ecology of practices that is the religion that's not a religion, right? Let's say that that project succeeds. Well, you know, okay, now we're living in a world where I go sit on my cushion and I close my eyes and feel peace and I go and, uh, you know, like uh, check in with my friends and make sure they're all doing well or et cetera, et cetera. Right. There's a certain way in which 
we've sort of made certain things become a bit more mundane, right? We've sort of, we've, we've potentially, I don't want to say disenchanted them, but I, I wonder yes. a lot about um, what is the role yeah. for these context bound terms and what does it mean to try to extract them or uh, abstract them? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, such a beautiful inquiry. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I have thoughts, but I think this is uh, something that I struggle with. And in part, I, I kind of kick the can down the road a little bit because in my world, like this training that I'm designing, which I hope is accessible and amenable to like kind of our cultures, where our culture is at in a way that like the training in Vermont has proven not to be over the years because people come and they're like, oh my God, this is like too intense, too crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready for this. Mm -hmm. They leave. Um, is that you would do a training like this in order so that if you wanted to, you could go to a place like that, which is much more kind of, although even less than obviously like tra actually traditional spaces bound in a context mm -hmm. and like very structured and coherent and rooted. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one answer. The, the other answer is that enchantment, I think, is a byproduct of a superabundance of harmony, at least across a number of these aspects mm -hmm. that I'm naming. Mm -hmm. um, in particular, I think it's the harmonization of ethics and the psyche. Once you really work through much of your shadow or your trauma or whatever you want to call it, what starts to open up is the kind of like revelation that these in shadowed parts are actually, you know, depending on the context you want to apply. But if we use an ontologically neutral framework, we're also free to play with different ontologies that afford different, you know, senses of mm -hmm. what is real or how things are real. Um, but they reveal themselves, you know, in, in my world to be angels, to be divinities functioning through us, you know? And so there is a lot of potential, at least, the way that I hold this kind of training to, to re-enchant the world. And if you're not called into, you know, classical awakening, which I think is rare, actually, um, I suspect that what you are called to is the re-enchantment of the world in your particularity, in the uniqueness, as you kind of uncover through the sort of incrustations of your, you know, shit and your baggage, like the unique and particular divinity that you are. And so like that is, I think, actually much more so what many people want is you want to exact the individual that's a construction, obviously, um, for the sake of the re-enchantment of the world. Um, mm -hmm. And that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I like that. It's, it, it, so all this stuff really is, is really at the, the crux of a lot of really important issues that this raises for me. And, and as far as it relates to to Verveke's stuff, I mean, it. one of the things, let me see if I can kind of put this in a highly condensed way. Um, you know, he, he talks, so he does a, he does this incredible job at telling the story of sort of intellectual history. Um, but what I, what I sort of miss from it is, is the narrative, um, which you could say yeah. is the dialectic, right? Is the, what, what's the structure yeah. there? What's, what, what's going on? Is it just, is this just a series of events? 
and now we find ourselves where we mm. find ourselves, or is this the unfolding of a certain dialectic that now we're where mm. we are, right? And those are different mm. ways to map the situation that ironically both give different kinds of meanings to our situation, right? And yeah, and so one of the things that I I, I mm. find um, that I want more from 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 what he's getting at is is uh, is is a narrative, and he talks about. Um, being mm. post narrative he wants to he's sort mm. of um he's interested in it basically if if all these ecologies of practices worked right then in sort of theoretically well we wouldn't need a narrative to like you know we wouldn't need mm. uh this the, the sacred history of a, a savior mm. being born or of a, a particular you know like liberation that occurred or this yeah. or that sort of thing right we would right. just right and so he talks about like less this oh, sort of yeah it's just more like going deep and and I, I'm, I find that very insightful, but I also find it problematic. I wonder if he's missing certain ways that certain people might find deeply important in, in relating to uh, these sorts of practices. And he, he I think, dances around it, he touches upon it. But I guess for me, it's sort of like it, where, where this all kind of leads to is he, in, if in missing the narrative, in missing the dialectic, is he missing development? Are there certain ways in which these things need to be engaged from narratological standpoints, mythological standpoints that mm. might might lend them? And that's where so much of that context-bound language really comes from, right? And if you remove it from that yeah. context, then maybe that's the disenchantment. So I don't know if I was mm. able to fully yeah. condense all that, but 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 there's something there that just doesn't quite, I don't know. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And I think like... Um... Some of that comes to me from his construct of the agent arena relationship, right? That, that if you can find yourself in an arena that calls forth meaningful participation, there often that's achieved through a kind of mythic agency in relationship to that arena. And so like at Maple, the one that at the Monastic Academy, the, the frame that is often used is like, you know, uh, we're in a planetary crisis. Like this is the time for heroes to arise. Mm -hmm. This is the time for you to show up, not just for your own life, but for the world as an act of like selfless, compassionate service to life itself. And like, that works for me. That's worked very well for me. Uh, it doesn't work for everybody though. Um, and I imagine there's a kind of like possibility of different kinds of narratives like that, but um, mm. I agree. I agree very much so that that sense of this, I don't know how to put it. I mean, the story of like what it is that we're doing on a kind of historical or planetary moment is really critical, I think. I guess I wonder, and this is a question for you as much as it is sort of an abstract question, but I wonder if there's a way in which these ecologies of practices, these ecologies of practices need to be, or at least could be um, presented differently for different uh, folks coming to them, if that makes sense, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. So I, I speak to that because I feel like that's an important thing that I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm very interested in it and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, the vision of, of the Monastic Academy has always been to kind of create a, a sort of renaissance in the culture whereby there's hundreds, ideally thousands of training centers where people are attempting these kinds of transformational, you know, living in these ways. Um, 
and that these spaces would be competing and collaborating with each other to kind of find out and refine how it is that you afford these transformations. Um, and the hope is that, you know, uh, we have a Sufi center over here, have a Christian center over here, we'd have a more buddhist center over here and they'd be talking to each other. They'd be like looking at it um, from different angles. Uh, the model that I've been building, this kind of harmony model is also designed to be modular, right? There are actually a lot of different practices that you could do that harmonize relationships. There's obviously a lot of different practices you can do that harmonize um, your psycho-emotional life, your psyche. Uh, and so you could imagine like re- bundling various sort of deeply contextual bodies of practice into this mm -hmm. framework that would mm -hmm. hopefully also allow people to move between these spaces and have a kind of like willingness to play within mm -hmm. a different context mm -hmm. without kind of needing there to be a lot of upfront legwork in terms of buy-in to yeah that's that's so interesting. I because I, you know uh, in this conversation that Verveke has with Jordan Hall about designing the religion that's not a religion, one of the issues yeah. that comes up is scaling, um, and yeah. and it, it it's it's related but also different. What you're talking about, which is this modular element, which is what if you had a modular element in which that could be represented contextually in in all yeah. the different colors of a particular tradition, maybe, yeah. or 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 maybe. Right, you could start to explore. Maybe not. Uh, there'd be different ways that those modules would find expression, you know, in different traditions, right? But you still need to do the work to try to abstract to find the modules in order to yeah. then go back and do that kind of work. Um, yeah. And so that's a really interesting idea, and I, I love that vision that you're talking about of these different centers for training, all sort of working from particular, you know, centers and traditions and stuff. But 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 yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, I mean, as soon as you, as soon as you say the word scale, my body kind of like trembles because that's, that is, you know, it's so hard. It's so hard. I mean, you know, I've spent the last, you know, or I spent like six years of my life trying to build up the Vermont center and it's taken multiple people just like total dedication and willingness to sacrifice to build that one center. Now, hopefully it's a kind of like the first or one of the first chickens kind of getting out of the eggshell mm. and we can then like help <laughs> others get out too, but it's hard, man. And, and there is just, a, I mean, as John Verbicki says, a kind of wisdom famine such that there are very few humans who are capable of holding these spaces. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing, right? Because it's like the very famine that makes it so hard to do is also the incredible need that makes it so attractive, <laughs> right? And so urgently needed. Yeah. Um, and so it's a kind of a double-edged sword, but you're right. It's like the resources that are there or that aren't there because of that are precisely a symptom or a sign of the fact that like, um, and I, you know, I mean, this is a different issue, but related, but like COVID's made this so hard because, mm. um, you know, trying to talk about people living in close proximity, doing training work together mm. at, a, at a deep psycho-spiritual level, um, not really mm. so much in the cards for a lot of people right now. Right. And so that it just adds this further kind of uh, systemic problem or challenge yeah. to try to overcome. 
Um, which I guess is maybe to frame that in the form of a question. I mean, like, and especially in terms of talking about scale, like how do you think about these things working uh, like a, 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 online or, or, or digitally, or, you know, is this work that needs to be done in person in small communities, or is this stuff that could be, that could be kind of taken and, and, and applied in ways that are people are engaging with these things, maybe in coursework online or in, in right. different kind of like online communities. Yeah, I, I think there's, um, a certain level of depth I don't think is possible without living together. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of it, a lot of good stuff can happen remotely and online. And we're, we have a kind of beta online community associated with Maple um, that we teach people the ecology of practices. And then they kind of like in various ways, self-organize and train and find each other um, and we are creating infrastructure to support like sort of uh, uh, emergent uh, training communities to form in different geographic locations, like uh, different supportive structures, like the back end of how you do that or guidance or admissions and such. Um, but, I, you know, one of the main problems in transformational work, transformational culture is, I think what is often framed as the integration problem, right? That you have these experiences um, or insights into a more wholehearted, harmonious way of being. And then you go back out into the world, quote unquote, and it just like rips it away from you because it, the systems that were embedded in are so out of integrity, so yeah. out of harmony yeah. that it's, you know, if not impossible, certainly like beyond my capacity to sustain it. I mean, that's why I moved to a monastery mm -hmm. is because in a way it, it solves, the idea is to solve the integration problem for you because you're embedded in a system that hopefully is like supportive and uh, helping you be in integrity uh, long enough that you can then go into the world and bend the world towards harmony, mm -hmm. bend the world towards integrity. Mm -hmm. So the world integrates with you. Mm. And that's, that's the, the, the goal. I'm not there yet. I, I, if I go back out in the world long enough, I will probably get like, you know, uh, uh, eaten by Moloch, but <laughs> I've heard and I believe it's possible. So. Well, it's, I was, I mean, that actually, you know, I was going to ask you this because one of, because all this does, it relates to the agent arena sort of framework. Right. And it, 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 what's, what's so challenging is what people where that missing sense of meaning comes in is people feel that profound disconnect between themselves and, and, and the world. And there's no sense of feeling integrated and kind of serving that baser, basic kind of notion of, you know, a fit, right. The fit isn't there. Totally. Um, yeah. And yet what's so hard is that uh, how do you, huh, all right, let me see if I can express this. So, there's a disconnect between world uh, or let's say, you know, agent and arena that's creating the, this sense of disconnect of meaning, meaninglessness. Yeah. And so in some ways, what the solution would seem to be to that is to make that fit occur so that that sense of meaning is then produced. And then you can go forth from that sense of meaning to, 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 yeah. you know, work from that space and to, and to change the world as it were. But what you have to do though is, in a world such as ours, which, as you say, is so kind of essentially fundamentally broken in so many ways or, or, or disintegrated, <laughs> this is probably the best way of putting that, um, 
then then ironically to be in to be fitted with the world in a disintegrated system is pathological right um so someone who's doing super well in some ways is sort of that's not a mark of sort of like health and wholeness and integrity that's a sense of being out of alignment so the challenge is sort of i guess to what you're saying is what you need to do is create these spaces in which people can feel that fit but it's a fit that's occurring outside of the brokenness of the general system as it is and then once that's kind of been established then you kind of come back and interact with that world to try to bring that is that what is that sort of a good way of putting that Exactly. And so that's the idea. If you, again, if you frame it in the way that I did of becoming this kind of harmonic agent, you come into such a super abundance of harmony that when you walk back out into the world, it conforms to you. You, you know how to participate with it such that whatever systems you're interacting with harmonize. Amazing stuff. Daniel Thurston, know you got to run. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll talk soon. Take care, my friend.